I'm Chelsea Bergen, and I'm here with Allison Arcos to talk about our casual obsession with Tamara Pierce. Tamara Pierce is the number one New York Times bestselling author of over 18 novels set in the fantasy realm of Tortal. She's the winner of the Romantic Times Book Review Career Achievement Award, the Skylark Edward E. Smith Memorial Award for Imaginative Fiction, and the Margaret A. Edwards Award for her significant and lasting contributions to young adult literature. Basically, as soon as I like had the idea to do this podcast, Allison was like, we have to do an episode together on Tamara Pierce. <laughs> like at first I was surprised that that was the first thing that you suggested, but it actually like made a lot of sense because I feel like that's uh, maybe an early thing that we bonded over. Yeah, I think it's one of the I would say like earliest hallmarks of our friendship. I think it's also something where I don't fan out as much as you do. Like I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't fangirl. I think the way that you do about things. Um, but when I do fangirl, like I fall hard and uh, Tamara Pierce is someone that I fell hard for. And uh, about a year ago, maybe, maybe less, um, I got one of her more recent books as a birthday gift and I mentioned it to you and you'd bought it, read it and had not mentioned it to me. And I'm not saying that that was like a low point in our friendship, but it was a little, it was a little rude, <laughs> <laughs> not the kindest. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll try to be better. I mean, please. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I mean, we're. I did. I didn't ask someone else to That's to true. record this That's with true. me. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. This, I do. This have, definitely makes up for it. I do have <laughs> other Tamara Pierce friends. Friends. You and I have been friends for almost four years now, or at least we've known each other for almost four years. I would say that we probably didn't like really become like friends until maybe like after the first year or so that we knew each other because we worked together and you were my boss for a while that is correct <laughs> yeah I think you try to keep the people who report to you from knowing that you are super obsessed with like young adult fantasy <laughs> <laughs> which is maybe be, maybe a problem in society but like yeah not necessarily things that you initially disclose so I was trying to figure out like how it came up and this is like my recollection slash theory so like if you have a different yeah. Recollection. Tell me what yours is. Memory but is the faulty narrator. Let's go. <laughs> so what I think happened is that it was I was over at your house for the first time and I was looking at your bookshelf. Hashtag always look at people's bookshelves. That'd be a really long hashtag. But like it's one of the first things that I yeah. do is like judge people based on what's on their bookshelf. Absolutely. And if you <laughs> have no books. Mm, mm -mm. Yeah. No, that's a problem. And you had the Kell books, I think, is what I saw. Or maybe it was either those or like Wild Magic is what I remember. And then I was like, did you read Tamara Pierce? 
so my bookshelves are organized by type and uh like most people uh or i, I would say most sane people um and <laughs> no judgment though yeah no judgment if colors your your scheme okay uh <laughs> actually no i judged i just judged very hard but the top shelf of my bookshelf is um all of the like young adult fantasy books that as my book collection has like evolved over the years, I just can't give these up. Um, and Tamara Pierce's Alana, Dane and Kel books are up there. I don't have like a complete set of either of those three, but it's all of the books that like I was originally either gifted or bought, you know, as a kid. And so like my Alana copies are falling apart. I might be missing like 15 pages from one. Cause like a little <laughs> chunk came out, like the, the glue and the binding is gone <laughs> um but yeah I've had so I, I would say like all of all of them were on my bookshelf when you came over that sounds right to me as the way that we discovered this shared casual obsession yeah and I, f- I feel like it's it like comes up in weird ways with other people recently it came up with someone like we were talking about something like completely unrelated and then she said something about Tamara Pierce and I was like, you read those books? Have we talked about this before? Um, I feel like it's definitely a, I was going to say a certain generation, but that's not really true because like the, her first book came out in the eighties, like the before last we were born. <laughs> Alana book came out, I think in 88. So it definitely, her work like spans generations, but I feel like I know a lot of people that are like approximately our age millennials <laughs> yes They're, that's the word for it millennials, millennials. um particularly though like millennial women yes um although i'm always like so happy when i the few interactions i've had with like men that have read tamra pierce i have never had an interaction with a man who read a Tamara Pierce book. <laughs> I wish I legit- the look on your face could be captured in audio. I legitimately did not know that they exist. Uh, are they single? <laughs> like, <laughs> I just feel like that says so much about them. That they would spend a sig- like time investing in a world where the protagonists of you know her books are by and large women. You know, there are there are strong male characters, but that was at least what drew them to me as as a child. Yeah. And continues to draw me to them as an adult. Yeah, I mean I think that's why there are like so many millennial women who like this was a thing that they read growing up. I I actually don't know what your like Tamara Pierce origin story is. Like when did you first read her and like what books did you read first well I feel like that my there should be a little bit of a disclaimer here which is that and this there's no way to talk about this without it sounding sort of like a humble brag but I had a really like advanced reading level as a kid like when I was six I would go and take like reading with like the fourth graders and things like that so by the time I was like 10 and reading at like a high school level, my mom was really stuck. Um, Harry Potter had just come out. The first book came out when I was nine and I was one of like the, um, we would go to this bookstore in Long Beach 
called Once Upon a Story. That was this really great children's bookstore. And uh, the owner's name was Julie Morris. And my mom would always talk to Julie like, um, Allison seems to really like this. Allison, you know, really seems to like that. Um, Julie was actually the first person who recommended Harry Potter to us. So like we were one of the, I think, earlier families that, you know, had access to Harry Potter because Julie was like, I think this book is going to be big. <laughs> Love your local bookseller. Yeah. <laughs> Julie Morris, the trendsetter. Um, when I was about 10, my mom was like, Julie, I, you know, really want Allison to be reading books with strong female characters because my mom, you know, first uh, woman in her family to like go to college all the way through getting a PhD wanted to make sure that like her daughter had access to like badass chicks and Julie who at this point your local booksellers like they know the kids that are 10 reading at you know a a 16 year old level kind of thing um but and, and it's hard I think this is it's it's hard to pick books for kids you know what I mean? With like different maturity levels and reading levels and things like that. So Julie recommended the Tamara Pierce books um, with starting with the Alana with the sort of caveat that like there is some sexual content, but I think your daughter can handle it, you know? <laughs> um, and I, and, and I, you know, enjoyed Harry Potter. So I think she felt like I'd have a good appetite for fantasy and Right before that, I'd read Ella Enchanted by Gail Carson Levine, which was like another fantasy book. And so the minute that I got Song of the Lioness, I think. The first one is Alana, the first adventure. That's what it is. So as soon as I got the first adventure, I was obsessed. You know, like I felt like I could see so much of myself in the character uh, from very... I think like minute physical things like she had red hair I had red hair you know here for the gingers um but even to just the fact that there you know the the first book focuses so much on that there was this predetermined destiny and you don't necessarily want to live out this sort of predetermined destiny and so her and Thom like switching spots uh really taking matters into your own hand and and just working hard I think that especially now as I have matured a little and I'm not you know 10 um the thing that that has stuck out with me is just the fact that like you Alana worked so hard to ensure that like successes would not be handed to her because of her gender right but like almost in spite of it and I feel like so many women that I meet, especially women who had these books as like formative things in their childhood, just have like a work ethic that is unparalleled. Yeah. My I was like, what's your origin story? <laughs> I feel I I just talked for like fifteen minutes. What's your origin story? <laughs> um, it was like fairly similar. Also, I realized probably should give like a, a quick plot summary for anyone who um is has made the terrible life choice of not getting acquainted with like song of the lioness prior Come to now borrow my falling apart books <laughs> it's fine i would just like them back <laughs> um so those are song of the lioness was uh tamra 
Pierce's first quartet of books. So there are four of them. Um, I feel like this was before like trilogies were like the thing and like there were some series that were like longer, but we had like it was before seven was the magic number for series. So the main character, um, Alana, she is in the first book. She's supposed to be going to a convent, like a finishing school. I felt like yeah. for for ladies to <laughs> learn lady things. And her brother is supposed to be going to become a knight. And she's like, I want to be a knight. He's like, I want to do magic. And so they sort of trade places. Um, she pretends to be a boy. Alan. <laughs> and so clever. Yeah. Um, her brother does not have to pretend to be a girl or anything. No. He just gets to go and yeah, be a boy, but uh, at the magic school. So she is pretending to be a boy so that she can become a knight um, because uh, girls are not allowed to be knights. And along the way sort of reveals her secret to um, a select group of people. Mainly she befriends the prince who then becomes a love interest, which I feel like we will definitely have to talk love interests, but we'll circle back. Uh, so my kind of origin story with Tamara Pierce um, was at the library. It's been a lot of the, the house where I grew up is um, like a block away from one of the local libraries. So I spent a lot of time there as a kid and I would basically just get like stacks of like books and audiobooks and um <laughs> my selection process was basically just like this looks interesting um I actually first picked up the second book in the hands of the goddess um as an audiobook and basically I picked it up and there was a girl on it with purple eyes and a horse and a sword <laughs> and I was like this looks like something I want to read um like, I was not a horse girl, but I knew that if there was a horse, that meant there was going to be adventure. <laughs> like, she had a horse and a sword, <laughs> and I was here for it. I like that, like, a horse and a sword are, like, cues for, like, adventure, and then, like, purple eyes, and you're like, witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically. Yeah. So, like, anyone who tells you not to judge a book by its cover doesn't know anything <laughs> about, like, marketing or, like, book design. Um, I absolutely judge the book by its cover, rightly so. <laughs> Um, just don't judge people. Sure. They're not books. <laughs> so I picked up this audiobook, which was the second book. And I, I don't know if I just like missed that or I was like, well, the, this is the ones here. But basically I had read all of the other books like years before I actually read the first one, <laughs> which is maybe why the first one is my least favorite. Because <laughs> by that point I was like, you know, like 11 year olds are whiny. <laughs> yeah. Like I had listened to the audiobook and I think also like read the print book of In the Hands of the Goddess, like at least, at least twice. twice. <laughs> um, and I think then read the third and fourth book. And then I turned some friends onto Tamara Pierce. And I think then at that point, like, went back and read the first one 
um, I don't know how old I was, but like probably like 11. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So given that it's been, you know, 18 years or so, right? Uh, for, For both of us, roughly almost two decades. I have a question for you. How many times do you think that you've read the Song of the Lioness Quartet? Um, so I have, In the Hands of the Goddess continues to be like my favorite. So I've read that one the most. Like ballpark it. I don't know. Um, it's actually not as big as a num of a like number as you might expect, but maybe like four or five times. Um, I think the first one I've probably only read once because it's my least favorite. Um, and then the other two I've maybe read like twice, maybe three times. But also I don't think I had copies of those ones. Mm. I think I got them at the library. Whereas like stuff that I reread, it's usually like stuff that I have physical copies of. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. What about you? I would say easily like in the 10 to 15 times. I haven't read the books probably like the entire quartet, you know, in like four years or so, but they were really formative for me. I, I, for, there was like a period of me reading them like twice a year. Um, yeah. Yeah. Casually obsessed. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I went back and reread those, um, not that long ago. Um, I guess maybe it was like two years now. So a little bit longer than I thought it was. They hold yeah. up though. They do. <laughs> they do. I think they, d- they deal with themes that, I don't know, haven't really changed. Yeah. So her next um, quartet after Song of the Lioness was the, was Wild Magic, which I had not read those until I picked the second one off of your bookshelf like earlier this month. <laughs> um and I'm actually not sure why I never read them. I get, I, there was no, actually, there was no horse and sword on the cover. <laughs> just, just like wolves. I was like, this doesn't look like my kind of content. I actually skipped them as well. Like technically the way that they were published, right? You had the Song of the Lioness Quartet, and then you had Wild Magic, and then I forget what Keladry's. Protector of the Small. Protector of the Small. And then Protector of the Small. And I don't know if it was my, like, the way that things were published because Protector of the Small started coming out when I was, like, reading, you know, so I read those a little bit more in real time. Um, Or if it was just, like, the whole talk to animals thing, which I was just very afraid of animals as a kid. So I, like, didn't, like, you know, when something just doesn't appeal to you, I was like, I don't need to, like, read the minds of animals. It sounds terrifying. (laughs) Um, and I had to very on brand age out of that um for myself. Uh, so yeah, that's funny. I because uh, I feel like beyond the the fact that Alana appears in the Protector of the Small Quartet, you know, as as yeah. uh, I think strong Dane like also secondary character, in- and Dane is too. And so it felt like I sort of knew what happened, and then when yeah. I went back and read the wild magic ones i loved them loved them um like yeah i mean i really tamra pierce's books (laughs) i really enjoyed um 
I read the second and the third one uh, earlier this month because those are the ones you had on your bookshelf. And I really um, enjoyed them. The third one, like, in particular. The fourth one's actually the best one. We need to get that. Yeah. <laughs> Long Beach Public Library, here we come. <laughs> so at this point, she has put out eight, books in the Tortal universe. So for anybody that's not as familiar, um, the Tortal universe is, Tamara Pierce has written some other books outside of it, um, which... Shout out to Circle of Magic. <laughs> um, I, They're okay. <laughs> yeah, I tried reading those and uh, didn't get into it, so I haven't, I haven't read those. So we're going to focus on the Tortal universe books, which... So they all take place in the same universe. So there's overlap. You'll see characters from one book series in the other. Um, the most distant one is the Becca Cooper books, which are a prequel of sorts. So those take place like hundreds of years before the Song of the Lioness books. Um, but she, Becca Cooper, the main character, is a like great, great, great grandmother of a character in Song of the Lioness. So they're sort of tied together that way. How many have you read all of them or like how many have you read? Um okay, I have read most of them, but uh I want to digress for just a little second to like shout out her website has a chronology of like Ooh. the Tortal universe and approximately what year all of these things happened and if you're a fan it makes for excellent reading and really uh, cements, I think, the order in which things happened and at what points um, the books even themselves overlap a little bit, Okay, which was really nice. Thank you for having great content on your website. Just another reason why you're my favorite author. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I have read... Um, okay, let me like do countdown from 18. Um, I have read all 12 of the three quartets that we have talked about. Um, and I read uh, Becca Cooper's books and I read the first of Allie's book, the first of the two books about Allie Ann, and then the first of the Numer Chronicles that was published, uh, I think the most recently. So I guess of the 18, like 17? 17. 16? 17. Yeah. Did you not, like, why didn't you read the... The second Allie one? Yeah. Um... Also, I have it on my bookshelf in case you want to read it. Oh, yes. Well, so I think it's about to get very personal. Uh, I think I felt like I needed to outgrow young adult books. Um, that, you know, there are books that mean a lot to you that, you know, I couldn't quite bear to throw away. But I was, um, I didn't feel like I could go to the store and buy it, you know? Um, and like be in, like I thought that I would be judged for being, you know, in my twenties, like buying a young adult book. Um, which is really silly. And, and, you know, if you are listening to this, uh, you can buy whatever books you want and it is totally fine. But I definitely, um, I had a little bit of, I think trouble like finishing undergrad and, and like, uh, graduating and like getting started with like my first, you know, quote unquote big girl job. 
And I had a lot of insecurities at that time. And so for me, it just felt like something that was off limits. And I was trying to be like better than like young adult books, like better than fantasy books and like be a little bit more focused on on like the the real world. And I think I felt that way for quite a bit of time. Um, And it's funny because, you know, we have been friends for years and I very much I think supported and encouraged like your love of young adult fiction but I was not as graceful to myself you know or really like supported or encouraged the fact that I also loved reading these books um and so I don't know I just I felt this real sense of like shame for still wanting to read and engage with this material that I should be I don't know. Like, I should have outgrown it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think... I think that you have, like, reason to feel that way in that, like, we are definitely... The social messaging is definitely that, like, that you're supposed to outgrow. Yeah. Um, honestly, I feel like that you're supposed to outgrow reading in general. Like, I feel like... Not everyone, but a lot of people that I know were, like, very into reading as a kid. And then, like, as an adult, you're only supposed to read if it's, like, quote-unquote serious adult literature. Yeah. (laughs) And then also there's definitely a lot of, like, gendered stuff around particularly, like, young adult literature because it is largely written by women. It is largely purchased by women and young girls um i mean one of the biggest purchasers like demographically of like young adult novels are actually like women like over 30 (laughs) um maybe not over 30 like but not young adults basically um a part of that is because you know we have the capital with which to purchase books disposable income (laughs) (laughs) um But I think there's definitely, like, you definitely saw this around the success of Twilight that there, which is something that kind of um, is one of the books that really brought young adult novels to the forefront, to, like, expanded the the category um, and got a lot of attention. And there was definitely a narrative of, like, these like desperate housewives who like don't have real lives. So they're reading books for teenagers, which like, fuck you. Yeah. I I feel like it was one of those things where, and, um, and I studied literature in college. And I think when you study lit or English, you end up reading like a lot of dense books. You're reading literary criticism. You're leading, you're reading like a lot of books written by men. Um, and I just felt like uh, it's it's the case of the shoulds, right? Like mm-hmm. those were the kinds of books I should be reading, which isn't to say, you know, I've got lots of books by men and lots of dense, serious books on my, my bookshelf right now, but I don't have lots of books by men. <laughs> don't need them. Well, a lot of my books are like Greek history books. And those are <laughs> <laughs> women weren't really writing in those days. You had like one lesbian poet and that's it shout out to Sappho sorry but (laughs) 
women weren't getting credit for writing things women weren't getting credit for writing but i think that like i i remember um reading the amazing adventures of cavalier and clay by philip chabon and just thinking like oh and i love that book i've given that book to people because it was one of the first books that i feel like made me think in a in a very big adult way um and I just felt like every time I read, I needed to have that sort of like revelation that that books were supposed to be windows to big adult ways of thinking. And what is so interesting to me in re- returning to Tamara Pierce's books um, as an adult is how so many of the themes that she explores um, are like themes that we talk about for for women and they are big adult things, but they're not. I think given that like societal importance um, because they're, they're geared and they're written in a different way. Um, It's like, for instance, the Becca Cooper books, right. Are about policing and like different kinds of policing and what it means to, you know, be a community police versus, uh, and and those are, I think very real conversations that the news media has today. Um, Alana, had to hide her gender but as a result spoiler alert (laughs) as a result of her getting her knighthood it opened the door for women to be accepted as pages and so when the protector of the small books come you know come out Keladry is like the first woman since that you know proclamation has been made to even attempt um knighthood but it's one of those things where I think in the real world, you see lots of women making room for other women. And this is something that we talk about all of the time. And I just feel so fortunate to have had exposure to those ideas very, very early in my life. I think a lot of people are really dismissive of young adult um, books or books that are targeted toward teenagers and young people because they for one like probably haven't read any of them recently (laughs) like um and just sort of like they basically just like don't know what they're talking about and sort of have like a lot of assumptions about like what it does and doesn't include but I think the thing that maybe people don't realize is that like the term like YA or young adult like that's a marketing category that doesn't actually which and it's a for anyone who writes YA or is like really interested you've probably read like a lot of people have it is not very cut and dry like what qualifies so um for instance Zan Romanoff, when she was trying to sell her first book, A Song Take the World Apart, um, which is about a teenage protagonist. She's in high school. Um, there were people that she sent it to who uh, worked in young adult who were like, oh, no, like this is um, this is literary fiction. Like this isn't this isn't young adult. And then she would send it to like literary, literary fiction. And they're like, no, this is young adult. This isn't like this isn't literary fiction because we don't really have very clear um 
clear definitions of those terms because it's not necessarily like the age of the protagonist because we have books that have like children and teenager protagonists that are like books for adults um and like why catcher in the rye is on every english (laughs) like reading list ever (laughs) yeah and also like what kids read at different ages varies wildly like a lot of people talk about like reading stephen king as a kid and like you would never you would never say that like stephen king is like young adult but if children are reading it like that line is obviously not so clear and like I think technically speaking most of Tamara Pierce's books would actually fall into the like middle grade category which is a little bit younger but they also deal with some like pretty serious themes that I associate more with um a little bit older audiences or like um more young adult than middle grade so it's there's not like a clear line there in the way that some people sometimes think that there is and like in the case of Tamara Pierce I think that that's actually something that she's been very purposeful about in an interview she said I think one thing fantasy does and science fiction as well is we give kids exposure to parts of the the real world at a safe distance so that they can read about it and think about it and turn it over, close the book, go away, talk about it with people they trust, and then come back and think about it again. Mm. Yeah. I think that that's right. I think another another thing that, that I've been thinking about, you know, listening to you talk and kind of reflecting on that is what it means to have accessible language, Right. Because I think that a lot of times, like, things that are considered canon or things that are considered, like, literary fiction or adult books um, use vocabulary that yeah, maybe is somewhat academic. May, you, you know, it's not something that is um, so easily digested uh, as a reader. It's something that you feel like you move slowly through because you're supposed to be thinking the entire time. But I think to you know reflect on that quote a little bit and to reflect on Tamara Pierce's intention by setting you know a lot of her her books um, at that sort of middle school age Alana and Kel are both 11 in the first book in their quartets I didn't realize this actually until going through the chronology on her website earlier today Dane was like 13 um you know those are those are formative years if you are a young woman biologically, <laughs> emotionally, all the things. <laughs> but uh, but I think that in, in making these kinds of ideas accessible to a wider population and also to people in their formative years, you, you have enough space to process complexity, um, you know, not just on your own, own time, but in a, in a way that feels more authentic to processing complex things which is, I think, in today's day and age, right, it's um, the, you know, half-life of a, an Instagram post or a tweet or something is, what, 30 minutes? <laughs> um, a tweet, maybe 10 seconds. And, and I think there are a lot of things that it just takes time to think about them. And it feels really lovely to have engaged with material as a child, as an adult, that was written in a way that I got to process it on my own time. And that, um, I, I just think that that is what a, like, what a gorgeous gift. 
Yeah. We've talked about this a little bit, but I'm interested in like, what are some of the things that you come back to about these books? Like, why are they books that have stuck with you? Um, and maybe like things that have changed, like things that you read differently as an adult. There are a lot of lessons that I feel like I've taken from these books. Um, one, my sister read them and it, we were very different growing up. I think that we, we were just interested in lots of different things. And that was a really lovely tie that blinded us was feeling the same reading these books, um, which is just that there were independent thinkers, you know, um, who dealt with interesting and complex problems and never really backed down. And I think that as an adult, the way that I think about these things differently is that when you are a woman, I think that you're given a lot of nudging, you're given a lot of cues that you're supposed to back down, you're supposed to acquiesce, you're supposed to make space for your romantic partner, your boss, your friends. You are supposed to have 18 spinning plates between your kids, your job, whatever, and you're supposed to be able to do it all and but you're not supposed to complain about it and you're not supposed to really put up a fight. And I would say that like personally, I'm sort of a nice mellow person. Um, But recently in the last couple of years, I have not felt like making room for people the same way that I used to, especially if their behaviors or their views are, are hateful or abhorrent or demeaning or or sort of hold women back. And I don't know that I would have had role models necessarily in my life that refused to back down the way that her fictional characters refused to back down. And when you read these books, like really read them. They're dealing with these very intense life and death things. Uh, Dane is like negotiating with immortal beings and gods. Um, And in her quartet, you know, it's not, I feel like, spoiler alert, just read the books. Uh, But, (laughs) um, you know, it's, she wouldn't necessarily be able to access her powers without uh, Numer, but at the end of the day, like it is her strength, it is her willpower, it is her birthright to actually do ne- the negotiations. Similar to Keldry, I think having Raul as like her her squire, you know, like someone who is big and brawny and, and can help her make sense of being six feet tall and, and, and being built a little bit differently um, is helpful. And so there are men in these in these supportive positions. Um, I think George for Alana really helping her tap into a, a street sense that, you know, she might not have acquired otherwise. Like there, there are men who help these women set, you know, set up for success, but um, ultimately it is sort of like their drive. And I think that that has something that is really stuck with me that I feel like I read things differently now and I don't, and the women are complex and there's lots of different motivations and they're 
thinking about things in a really different way. And I find that now if I read books and they're not, the women are simple, you know, they, they don't have many different motivations. They don't have drive. They don't have interests. Um, they're usually very off-putting books for me and I can't finish them. <laughs> Rightly so. Women are people like write better books. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I think it's one of those things where maybe you can't have it all, but you can definitely think about being romantically interested in someone and also what you'd like to do with your life yeah. and also what you'd like to cook for dinner next week, <laughs> you, you, you know, yeah. or order for dinner next week or whatever. And like all of those things can exist in your brain in the same time. And you can also like think about how to make the world a better place. Yeah. Um, and I, and I find so, so much of the portrayal of women that I see, like they don't get to handle all of those plates. They get like maybe one and then they're hyper focused on it and then they're intense. <laughs> yeah. And I think like largely, in Tamara Pierce's books, the protagonists do sort of eventually like get to have it all in a sense. Like, you know, by I think by the end of her quartet, Alana is married. And you find out like she eventually has children in like um, that you see in later books. Um, but it's not it's not necessarily like cut and dry like you have to she definitely had to make choices along the way to sort of like get her there and I remember reading the books for the the first time that I read them I was really upset that Alana didn't end up with Jonathan <laughs> who is um you know the prince who's her best friend that becomes her love interest also very dreamy looking so dreamy I mean if you're if you're here for brunettes um I am <laughs> And, and so I remember like getting, is it maybe like, I don't remember which one it's like where she officially, I don't know if it's, I think it's the third one. I think so too. Where he proposes and she's just like, nah. Yeah. Um, and I remember being like mad about it for like, for like days afterwards. Um, but now I am like, so grateful for that both because it was like she doesn't have to marry the first person that like she loves or like has sex with and also <laughs> but but actually yeah that's such a powerful lesson to give to women <laughs> like of course she didn't want to marry Jonathan like she doesn't want to be the fucking queen she wants to be a knight yeah if she wanted to be a queen she never would have switched places with Tom she would have gone to finishing school slash the you know convent or whatever and they never would have met or even gotten you know <laughs> yeah and it was like that kind of like I'm so grateful for that now in a way that like I obviously did not appreciate it as a as a teenager um but the idea that like she also that she made a choice like that of like yeah this is someone who's incredibly important to me and like what I want out of my life does not line up with like what this relationship would require. Absolutely. I think regardless of, of who you're attracted to, finding a partner in life, whether that's platonic or romantic, that like sees your ambition and supports that is 
absolutely massive. And, and that is a hundred percent a lesson I got from these books early on, despite the fact that Prince Jonathan was very dreamy. Yeah. I mean, now I can appreciate George for the like ambition supporting, like sees you for who you are, like guy that he is. But at the time I was like, but the dreamy prince. He He knew you were a girl and, you know, still. He was chill with it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But also, I feel like that's such a lesson, which is just even like it's that whole like how well does someone really see you? Like he might have been cool with your gender, but if he, you know, if they don't understand your ambition or like your dreams or what you want your sense of your life to look like, are they really the one? Yeah. Nah. (laughs) And like her and Jonathan stay friends like they you can see in the other books that come like later in the universe that they like maintain a close personal relationship like she's the king's champion so he didn't like penalize her for not wanting to marry him I think that's the most fantastical element of these stories (laughs) a kid but yeah, and I think what is really nice, too, about the way that Tamara Pierce constructed the world of Tortal and the, the fact that these characters that maybe have their own sort of starring quartet become secondary characters in other quartets is you get to see, oh, they have it all, but, like, not really. Like, oh, at the end of her quartet, like, she's married and she's going to have kids and it's going to be great. And then you see her in Protector of the Small and she's, like, frustrated as fuck. Because no one, you know, no woman has tried to be a knight since her. And who wants to be a one-off, right? Uh, if you're trying to create institutional change. Um, and so you see her frustrations with the institutions and realize that, like, this is not a one-off fight. This is not a battle. This is, like, a decades-long quest for her. Um, and I think that more so you know than anything has given me a way that I think about life and the decisions that I make and I I just try to be as pragmatic in my approach as possible um and it's because you can sort of see the ways that um most things in life are not short or quick or easy can we talk about something that I have like very mixed feelings as an adult about Oh, sure. Uh, okay. I just wanted to remind you, Chelsea, that this is your podcast. <laughs> so we can talk about anything that you want. <laughs> I mean, it is like bordering on critical or perhaps like critical. So, you know, I just want to make sure that you're that you're here. For oh, it. I mean, I, <laughs> we stand a prolific author queen, but like, yeah, most people there's, you know, no one's yeah. perfect. So like in the truest sense have like mixed feelings about this. So in reading the wild magic books yes in those books you have the protagonist dane who is a like young girl early teenager at the start of the books and her like mentor who is nine or ten years older than she is i think he's like 15 years older than she is it's a significant age because I, I think in the last book that she's 16 and he might be 28 so I guess that's 12 years because I had read the other like books in the universe before reading those I knew that the two of them were like ultimately going to get together 
which when I just read the other books, like didn't give that a whole lot of thought. Like, I don't know if I realized this, the age difference between them, but then in reading those books now, so in the second book, it's like pretty platonic. And also like, he's very clear about boundaries of like, at one point they're like, staying in someone's castle and he's clear about like we need like separate rooms and like if there's an adjoining door it needs to be locked both because like he's also concerned about her like reputation and um and doesn't want like people jumping to conclusions because she's spending a lot of time with like an older man which like appreciate that and then in the third book some like there's weird tension where like his love an old love interest come Varys comes back into the scene and like Dane is definitely jealous like she never says it but like acts it for sure and so me a grown-ass adult reading these <laughs> books on the one hand I'm like oh so much sexual tension just kiss already and on the other hand I'm like this is deeply inappropriate. Like <laughs> he's much older than you are and like in a position of power, the dynamics there, like not good. You should definitely not get involved. Um, and it was like a weird thing to notice that in myself, both the desire to see like two characters get together. That is, I think as much a reaction that I'm having, like as an adult person and also the like teenage girl in me, who's like, reading these books and I'm like yes adventure now kiss (laughs) (laughs) and so on the one hand to be like yes here for it and then on the other hand to be like this like is fundamentally a relationship that like I did not support I have a lot of problems with this and so I have not read the fourth book in that quartet yet but I did read a summary of it (laughs) um and Such a prepared podcast host. like they I think it starts out because like he kisses her and then at the end I think he proposes to her and like she's 16 and he's a grown ass man and he's 27 27 because according to the chronology on Tamara Pierce's website Numer was born in 425 and Dane was born in 436 yeah so he's 11 years older than she is which like if she was 25, okay, but she's 16. And and it's also like brings up a lot of weird for me, a lot of weird feelings about like separating sort of like fantasy feelings from like real life feelings because there is definitely a sort of like sexual tension to the like mentor vibes that like sure that can be sexy but also like I'm not really sure that I want like teenage girls reading that because like well I don't want to police what teenage girls read but I if they don't have a like adult in their life that's having conversations with them about like hey if your teachers hit on you that's inappropriate like I don't know I just like have a lot of feelings about that that I haven't like sorted through I don't think I mean I think that that's a fair critique though right because you'd hope that 
literature would model both like good and bad behaviors in a way that it makes it easy for you to understand what sorts of behaviors you want to invite into your life. And generally speaking, it's super problematic (laughs) on a lot of different levels, not just the age gap when she's not like, you know, I would say fully developed in probably who she is as a person, um, but has really had to undergo severe amounts of trauma as a child. So that feels problematic, you know, from an age gap perspective. I think the mentor-mentee, you know, um, he's in a position of power and that he is controlling how she sort of develops um, her magic and her sort of expertise and her skill. Uh, and so that is problematic. Um, something else that I... I, I <sighs> worry about is I think just this concept of like oh this woman is like talented like let's get her off the market you know what I mean and so some amount of like ownership over this talented women that I think is inherent in in uh, marriage as an institution Um, and so I think that there's just there's like a lot of things there where yeah as an adult um, it's kind of like ooh, like you know (laughs) Yeah. In talking about this, I'm also remembering like in the third book, there is this um, Karthaki prince that she um, he's like supposed to be her like tour guide or something. And then like intrigue and like um, it turns out like there's a whole secret plot that like he's involved in and they sort of become friends and like um it seems like the sort of thing where like in another context, maybe they would like get together and like at one point new mare is like basically tells this prince to like I, implies that he would be like leading Dane on that like, well, you know, you're a prince. And so like you can't, you couldn't marry her. So like cut it out. <laughs> yeah. Which that's like weird behavior because like, absent of the sort of previously mentioned sexual tension that could be like a caring gesture of just like don't lead her on if you're not serious about this but instead becomes this like possessive gesture that's like that sounds like grooming like don't do that I mean yeah I think that there's definitely room for like these interpretations of him what has been interesting about her publication of the Numera Chronicles, which is one of the first books, y- you know, that she's really written from a male point of view. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the first one. In, in this universe. Um, is, I think that there's a lot, when you get to know his backstory a little bit, that I understand they're coupling more in that he was also subject to quite a bit of trauma as a child and... I think for better or for worse, like you, you look for people who understand your life experience. And so I think that like his, a lot of his desire to be protective is a hundred percent part possessive because he's sexually attracted to her. And like, that's where that energy lies. But, but I think a lot of it too is to try and spare someone his upbringing, at least the way that I, I kind of understand those books. Uh, but I'm not I'm not disagreeing with your interpretation in that I think yeah. that there's just, you know, quite a bit that is problematic. Um, and it 
also having, I think in my personal life, having dated someone where, you know, it wasn't 11 years, but there was a six year age gap between the two of us. I often felt um, as if his life experience that he had that I did not was some like measure of intelligence that I just like wasn't ready to access yet. And, and so um, upon kind of like rereading these books as an adult, it is one of those things that I think that when you're a woman in a relationship, be it mentor mentee, like I don't think it has to be romantic, but you're in a significant some like a significant relationship with someone and they have this experience that feels unattainable and inaccessible to you, you tend to maybe weight their opinion more heavily and uh, make it, you, you know, maybe give it more weight than you might otherwise give it. And and so I do think I see that dynamic reflected in those books. And uh, it's not that I would want to police what young women read, but I do think that there is something a little telling in that it, it just feels so different from Alana and Kelladry's quartets. It's something you and I, I think, both skipped over and kind of came back to later and I would almost wish that local booksellers and librarians might like hold that quartet for later. I don't think that you need to read it, you, you, you know, and I think it would be helpful to read it when you had a slightly more fully formed idea of yourself. Mm. Because I think that, that that is like at its core the sort of problematic element of that quartet is that a lot of these things are happening to her before she really even had a fully defined idea of self and I think for Alana and for Kelladry and for Becca and for Allie um, they just had more time and their their discoveries of self you know weren't necessarily tied up in a man's ability to like help them define it um, but I think for Dane, you know, part of it is, can I spoil the fourth book for you a little bit? Yeah. So she ends up going to the realm of the gods and meeting her dad, um, who's a minor god. So part of it is, um, I mean, part of her sense of self is so literally tied up in her last name, right? Sarasri, like daughter of Sarah. So part of it is she doesn't have a dad to give her that last name, that sense of belonging in the world. And so she goes on this quest to find herself. And it is both in meeting her dad um, and through the help of Numer that she's like able to find herself. And like that, she still does a lot of powerful and badass things. I mean, she negotiates with immortal beings. She like talks to animals. She's arguably the most powerful, like, magician you know mage um in the entire universe but so much of that sense of self for her and that discovery of this her sense of self seems to be wrapped up in the opinions and like lineages of like men Mm, and that i think is is the thing that like at the core of it i just want to be like wait sweet 13 year old (laughs) like wait until you're 18 (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah but I mean, 
but maybe is this a more reflective book for our time <laughs> of what it's actually like to grow up? I don't know. <laughs> I It's like, uh, I don't know. It's so, it's, yeah, I have a lot of complex feelings about it because I'm thinking back to when I was 22, um, I dated someone who was 10 years older than me and like, um, I mean, like, many things about that relationship were, like, great. Sure. Um, and also, like, I was really, like, lost and, like, in a sort of extended, like, depressive period. And, like, I definitely, there were a lot of things about that relationship that, like, not real, like, not even because of anything that he did, but because of just, like, that age gap, that experience gap um, where I just sort of felt like that he like had things figured out. Um, or just like a lot of things that, I mean, now, um, with years later and like distance from that, I'm like, oh, like he didn't like, you know, he was, you know, doing the best that he could, but he didn't have, you know, anything like especially figured out. He, you know, was a person in his early thirties. Um, but a person in their early thirties has had 10 more years of practice than a person in their early twenties. So I was not entirely wrong to feel like he knows what he's doing because he had a little more practice doing it. And it's just a weird, it's a weird thing because that is like so inextricable where like, um, I like don't have any regrets about that relationship. I think it was really wonderful in a lot of ways. And like, I grew a lot and also um it's not a thing that I would like advise um because I had I was really confused and really like wanted someone else to like show me how to be a person so it was really easy to just like look to this person that I'm intimately involved with who has more experience and just sort of feel like well they'll like fix it essentially not that I like I could not have articulated that at the time if you'd asked me I would have been like no like it doesn't matter it's not a big deal um but looking back that's definitely yeah how I felt and I I just want to add a disclaimer that like obviously if you're in a healthy relationship with someone and there's a significant age gap that's amazing um and we're really happy for you uh but yeah I think I for me it's really it's just about that do you know yourself yet and I have people in my life who I feel like have known themselves, you know, at like seven. You, like, <laughs> but I also think that we always think that we know ourselves sure. to some degree. Like, I think it's in looking back that you can be like, wow, I just had no <laughs> idea. But at the time, like if you had asked like 13 year old me, I would have been like, I know everything about myself. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I guess the hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> I just mean that, um, for me, it's just it, the, the problematic thing is that she's like really discovering who she is, but that that sense of self is so tied to men. Yeah. Hmm. Like, yeah. like more so even than, than the age gap or the, you know, um, potentially problematic romantic behaviors. Uh, cause I think. I mean, oh, God, I'm about to sound like an idiot. I know that these are fictional characters. But, like, we weren't there. We don't know what their (laughs) relationship is. 
you, you know, I don't know the the context and the the climate, you know, and I'm not trying to judge. Allison, it's it, you can judge, in fact, <laughs> because it's fiction. And on the page, like that's but that's actually like <laughs> yeah. The yeah. only information that we have to go on Ew. is what's on the page. So like. <laughs> I guess I'm just trying to make room for lots of different kind of people and things and whatever. But yeah, I know. I, I know. I know. Um, I wish they could see your face right now. Uh, um, but I, yeah, I guess it's just like one of those things where, you know, they might be one of the people that you're supposed to just meet and follow. Y- y- you know what I mean? But I think that at the end of the day, I just, I wish that she'd had a little bit more time or a little bit more space or a little bit more distance. It's not that I think that things would have ended up differently. I just wish that she'd had more time to discover her magic, like discover her power, not necessarily have tied the development of her skill and expertise to like numerous teaching. You know, that maybe there had been other uh, factors. It's not that I think that anything would have ended up different I think that in a lot of ways they seemed really compatible right like now that we know more of Numer's backstory coming from really humble upbringings often bullied endured quite a bit of trauma as children endured quite a bit of and I guess when I say trauma I mean having this sort of otherworldly power and force that you're supposed to learn to control at a very young age as well as Um, like loss of strong family bonds, feeling very much like an outsider. You know, they had very similar life experiences. Um, And, and I think that oftentimes those are, those are ties that bind, uh, right? Growing up with these books for us is very much been a tie that binds. So it's not that I think that anything would have ended up differently as it relates to their romantic relationship, but I just, I wish that she'd had, some space and some time to grow as a person on her own. Um, And I I recognize that, you know, in the context of like a fantastical world where men are still very much, you know, the the domineering and pioneering like uh, figureheads at institutions, um, that that probably was not possible. But I do, I do believe that there was just a little bit more space, narratively speaking, for Alana, for Keladry, um, even for for Becca and and Allie, um, than than Dane really got because so much of her story is tied in with Numer that none of the other ones really had like you know, a book so closely tied, like like a relationship so closely tied to a male character that spanned the length of the co- that quartet relative to to her. So that, that I think, um, is the thing, like more so than, than little bits of, of numerous behavior that is problematic to me. Yeah. But I... I see that. Mixed feelings. I share them. <laughs> That's actually one of the things that's interesting about reading young adult as an adult who is in this particular context not young. And feels no shame. (laughs) It's true. I don't. 
I love YA. It's um you're kind of in my experience like reading it on different levels because there's the sort of like id experience of reading it that is very like your inner teenager um and then there are the sort of things that you want out of it that are kind of like because you're an adult like you have different like narrative expectations and then also the perspective that you can bring to it as an adult um looking back on things that you're like oh like I don't know how I feel about teenagers reading this or about like how I would have felt as a teenager reading it and those kinds of layers and there's actually been quite a bit of like discussion and some amount of like controversy in YA about this um because essentially like what an adult person wants to read is not always the same as what a teenager wants to read but if there are if a lot of the people buying YA are actually adults then like how does that fit um and especially when it comes to topics like sex where like I think that it is a like important to have representation of like healthy sexual relationships in books for teenagers and also like as a fucking teenager I definitely wanted to read about like maybe not you know graphically although I didn't I don't think I really knew I don't know anyway as a teenager I definitely wanted people to be having sex um (laughs) but also like it's a little bit different as a teen like (laughs) what you're looking for as a teenager is perhaps different than like as an adult you're making a face right now no, I just I I know exactly what you mean because I feel like it's it's you want there to be like sexual content because it's like a little bit of an unknown and so like as a teenager I distinctly remember being like this is what sex must be like, you know, <laughs> like reading romance novels or like reading things and Oh god. Yeah, and 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 now I feel differently. <laughs> But, um, but to your point, I think that, um, it's really hard growing up as a woman to develop a vocabulary to talk about sex in, and not just about like likes and dislikes, uh, but I just even mean like have open conversations about it. And so when you actually get language that is describing it, when you get these scenes, when you get representation of um, relationships uh, that have a sort of positive physical manifestation, um, because there are so many things that I think could get categorized under sex that uh, are not really sex, right? Just like physical touch or, or, or ways that you want affection to be expressed it's important to have those things and I think it's important to get some exposure to them at a young age especially uh exposure that is uh like role building you know or like role modeling so that you have an understanding of like what you're supposed to be shooting for and you also have early exposure to language that helps you develop your own vocabulary um as it relates to talking about these things and so but yeah I think that like now, if I wanted to read a sex scene, I think I would look for something maybe a little bit 
more mature than like Alana and Jonathan made love, right? <laughs> <laughs> but as a as a gay twelve year old, I was like, oh, yeah, saucy. You know, Tamara <laughs> Pierce is definitely like her her books are not explicit, no. but they do like make reference to yes. characters having sex. Yes, she talks about birth control. It's much easier for them. They just like wear a magic charm. Um, uh, and no hormonal side <laughs> effects. Jealous. Yes. Um, <laughs> but she also, she does in her books, like sort of delve into like puberty in a way that like, I yes. do not remember other books doing. Yeah. They're, well, I mean, because I think the, they start at 11 and so you're generally, spe- you know, at an age where y- yeah, it, yeah, I think it's safe to assume that like Things you have not had your first period <laughs> Things are changing. You're growing. You know, why is my body like this? <laughs> a lot of angst. And yeah, I think that like t- also as an adult, I I already lived through like my body changing and having a lot of angst. I'm happy to be beyond that. You know, so I think like when you talk about what teens want to read versus what an adult wants to read, I think um, for teenagers that must be I, and I remember it feeling very validating you know that I was not the only one experiencing these things and as an adult I think I'm just like oh I'd rather not <laughs> <laughs> I mean but I don't like I think that it is validating to teenagers or preteens at the very least when we're talking about like puberty but I wouldn't say like that as a teenager that's what I like wanted to read per se it was just like well, no, no one wants to read about girls getting their periods, <laughs> even girls getting their periods. It's also because like talking about teenagers is weird because that's like so nonspecific ultimately, because we're talking about these books that we started reading when we're we were like 10, 11, 12. But in my brain, when you say teenagers, I picture like 16 year olds. Oh, yeah. And also it's. I did continue to read Tamara Pierce like as a teenager, as a teenager, as, as a adult. like 16 year old yeah. and now into adulthood. And um, it's weird. Like there's no, there are no right answers basically. Like I don't, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think a, a hot take on not everything in life needs a right answer or a hot take. Sometimes it just exists, you know? I don't think that we need right answers or hot takes on periods. <laughs> <laughs> you were like really grabbed on to the like, well, now do you have a specific, is yeah, there was like when Alana first got her period and she had to go to a Lenny and get the like birth control and you know, and like, yeah, I remember the birth control. I do not remember. Yeah. Um, or when like That's Kel got her period and it was just like having to, I remember having very vividly just having to deal with like, the bodily changes while you are the only woman having to sort of experience these bodily changes and Alana getting her period was the thing that I think uh was one of the factors that caused her to like open up to George and open up to a couple of the men around her that like she needed you know um all was not as it seemed you know she needed a helping hand um Okay, don't make that face. Uh, I'll find a better. All was not as it seemed. She needed, you know, assistance. And um, I think that that is so interesting. Can I, like, completely digress for a little bit? Yeah. Um, you will probably edit this out, but I feel like it's just something that I want to be recorded for posterity. So 
I mentioned that my that these books were a real tie that binds for my sister and I. And we are a very nerdy family that plays like board games and like other kinds of games together. And one of the games that we play is not a board game, but it's like a game that someone invented, not someone in our family, but just someone called Dictionary, where we have this very intense old random house dictionary from the 1970s. And it's like the size of three college textbooks, you know, we pull it out and you like thumb through it and you try to find a word that you think no one at the table has heard of. And then you ask everyone to write a definition for that word. And the person who gets the closest, like, wins. Uh, and we were playing. Oh, so it's like Boulder Dash. Yes. But with an old dictionary and college-ruled paper. <laughs> um, and we were playing once with family friends who are, like, I don't know, an English teacher and an engineer. So, you know, also nerds. And... The English teacher pulled out the word glaive, and, um, and so she says it. And so Sarah and I look at each other, and if you haven't read Tamara Pierce's books, in The Protector of a Small Quartet, Kelladry is sort of known for um, her weapon of choice being a glaive, which also, when you see cover art now and she has a sword, I feel some kind of way about it. And... <laughs> judge a book by its cover <laughs> um and so sarah and i looked at one another and we were both just like oh we know what this is i mean if someone knows what the word is you sort of toss it out and the the person has to find a new one and the teacher was just like incredulous that we knew what this word was she was like you both know what a glaive is <laughs> and we were like yes and she was like what is the clave? And so then Sarah, like, I think Sarah was the one who was just like, well, it's a club-like metal weapon from like, the, you know, <laughs> just like goes on and describes it. And she was just like, and you both knew what that was? And it was like, yes, it was in this book that we read. that It was the main character's weapon of choice. Well, what is the book? You know, and it just went a whole, down a hole, like, um, we knew what a glaive was. But yeah. Uh, reading books it teaches you things <laughs> reading books it makes you annoying at dinner parties <laughs> you asked me to tell the story of I did. meeting Tamara Pierce yeah and maybe it's an appropriate time to do that I think it definitely is can I preface the story just a little bit yeah so, um, we mentioned at the beginning that, that Chelsea and I, it took us a minute to become friends. Um, but sometimes your friend tells you something or relays something to you and in, in them relaying this piece of information, it's like this affirming, like, yes, this is why we are friends. And Chelsea told me that she was going to go to this like uh, young adult literature festival and that Tamara Pierce would be there. And I was like, oh my gosh, like get a signed book, have the best time, like tell me everything about it. Um, and then the story that she is about to tell you very much for me affirmed our friendship. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there is a annual um, young adult book fest in um, Southern California. They have it at Santa Monica High 
Santa Monica High School, and it's called Y'all West, and it's a spinoff of Y'all Fest, which started on the East Coast. I want to say, like, in a Carolina or something. Um, and so it's all young adult books. Um, highly recommend going if you can, if you like YA. Um, and it's um, free event really great they give out books and things also it was like really affirming to just like see a bunch of teenagers who were like so excited to get books and I was like (laughs) ah these are my people (laughs) so I went to y'all west this was not the most I guess this is two years ago or three years ago um recent ish but like not um not in the immediate past and um so I saw that Tamara Fierce was going to be there. So I was really excited. I bought a copy of In the Hands of the Goddess because I didn't have it. Because if you remember, I got it from the library. And I was very specific to not get one. Of, I didn't want one of the new, like, updated covers. It needed to be the original, like, cover that made me pick up the book. Or sword purple eyes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I, like, scoured until I found one that I was confident I was like, I don't want in this updated art bullshit. I want the like original. Um, we can't say it enough. Judge a book. By its cover. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I went to the event um, and it was great. In the morning, I got to hear Tamara Pierce talk. Um, I forget now who she was being interviewed by. Um, she was great. And I was like so excited. Going to go to this book signing. So I, uh, later in the afternoon, I like get in the line. It's a long line. I'm waiting there for a long time. Like I was supposed to go see some other like talk and it's like, oh, no, not going to that. Like waiting in this line. Um, and I just like have my book with me. Uh, at one point I like talked to some other people and we're talking about like what books they brought and when did we start reading them? And, um, I might've been in line for like, two hours like it's longer than I've waited in line for like most things and the whole time I'm just sitting there thinking like trying to figure out what I'm gonna tell her when I get to the front and like how I'm gonna convey to her that like her work really impacted me um I was particularly thinking about this because I get kind of weird around um people whose work I like, I feel weird about complimenting them. Like when I meet someone who wrote a book, I don't say like, Oh, I liked your book because something about that feels like weird and fake to me, which is dumb. You should just tell people that you like their work, but I get kind of weird about it. So I was just like thinking, what am I going to tell her? And then sort of rehearsing in my head, telling her that like I first read her books when I was, you know, 12 years old and I, I think I was maybe 25 at the time and you know so that's 13 years that you know they've I've been reading them that they've been important to me um that I've been you know getting my friends to read them and I'm just like thinking to myself over and over again and then as I start to get closer to the front when there are like just a couple of people in front of me I start to feel really emotional and I was like (laughs) no 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 (laughs) like stuff that down so I can like feel it in my chest and I'm like trying my hardest to just like like be cool be cool 
and it's finally my turn. So I I get up to the table and I start I'm like holding her book in my hand. My hands were probably shaking. Um I like hand her the book and like she's signing it and I start to tell her that like I first started reading her books like as a like young like preteen and then I just burst into tears. <laughs> and like I didn't never thought that I would like cry meeting anyone and if you had asked me like okay you're you will cry meeting someone who will it be I I don't think I would have said damn fierce um but I fucking cried (laughs) (laughs) and then I'm like embarrassed because there are like all these people in line behind me and I'm just like trying to calm down and there's this like woman who is like the event staff who's like gonna take a picture of the two of us and she's like not quite sure what to do (laughs) and Tamara Pierce is literally like take a deep breath so I'm like (laughs) (laughs) like now take another like Tamara Pierce is talking me down from my tears uh I like manage through my tears to like spit out that like her books are very important to me honestly I have no idea what she said back (laughs) like um she signs my book now I've like stopped crying but my face is like so red and blotchy and the like um woman who's like working the event is like do you want me to take a picture of you and I'm like yeah (laughs) and I like go around the table and we like take a picture um I feel like now I have to like put the picture in like show notes or something. Everyone can see my blotchy face with Tamara Pierce. Follow at casually obsessed podcast on Instagram. Yep. The photo will be there <laughs> for posterity. Um, and that is, that's, that's the story of how I met Tamara Pierce. I cried. We took a picture together and then I walked away. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that I would be much better. <laughs> like that seems accurate yeah and so hearing this story for the first time you know because it was literally like we were at work on Friday oh I'm gonna like see, hear Tamara Pierce talk and then I I had intense jealousy and then he, like on Monday how did it go you know um, I felt very validated in our friendship because I think at this point in my life I would also cry yeah, I mean, buckets. At the time, <laughs> I was like, this is so dumb. Like, why am I crying? Like, I basically was acting like a teenager about it, that I was like, ugh, feelings. Um, but now I'm like, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. This is someone whose work I have been consuming and thinking about and sharing for, like, over a decade at this point. Totally makes sense that I would have a lot of feelings about that and they would come out of my face (laughs) specifically your tear ducts (laughs) yes um but i still feel like mildly embarrassed about it oh no i don't think that you should i think it's like one of those things where you I I don't it's not that I don't want you to feel special because you're very special but like you're probably not the first person that has cried you know while meeting her um she was very calm about it so I'm (laughs) probably not yeah and I mean I think 
on some level, if I were a writer, I would be moved that my work so moved someone. Do you, you know? Yeah. And it's not like you were, you know, I think like like doing anything drastic, even though it might, you know, in retelling the story or, or in replaying the story in your head, seem like a, a dramatic emotional response. Um, I think that, you know, we've spent quite a bit of time talking about all of the ways that we discount the emotions and the feelings of young women. Um, don't discount <laughs> your own, like, feelings and emotions I think that that's a valid emotional response and I think that um you know it I don't think that she went home to her you know spouse creature <laughs> and was like oh my god another one you know <laughs> I just I, I I think if you read any of her writing that's not quite who who she is um it if you have not spent time with any of uh, Tamara Pierce's website please do <laughs> Because the her like about me page um, is like a tiny novel, but there is is so much I think room in it for her life experience and the different kinds of people that she has interacted with over you know sixty five years of lived experience and sixty six I knew math I think she's turning sixty six. I'm gonna this year. lose my shit when she dies. <laughs> okay chill my parents are like 65 and no one's dying yet no i mean <laughs> i wasn't trying to get morbid but it just made me think about like she's been doing this for a long time and then like fuck mortality but i just i mean that you know i think again you know touched to have so moved someone feels very on brand for her in the way that she describes her life and her experiences and I think the things that have colored how she writes the characters that she writes <sighs> she's so cool uh here's the thing that I don't know if you know it was announced in November of 2019 the rights for all the Tortall books were acquired to make a tv show now I have not been able to find any news about it since the like deadline post at the beginning of November. Um, but it's possible that we will get a Tortal Universe TV show. My mouth just opened so big right now. I feel like I almost bit the microphone. Um, oh my God. No, I did not know that. I was making a lot of, I was trying to wait for you to finish, but my body was doing a lot of things to like process like, the emotional energy there whoo um wow uh wow that's so exciting I I have a lot of thoughts about what you just said one I can't wait to watch that television show two if they fuck it up I will fuck them up uh <laughs> Disclaimer, I have very poor hand-eye coordination, and I almost never leave the city of Long Beach. Uh, so, you know, it might be a little difficult, but... Uh. Um, and three, I think it's really interesting to be a part of a fandom or, like, have to, to have developed a casual obsession with something, like, pre-internet, 
like pre, you know, like setting up alerts and feeling like you have to be on top of the news of something and having like forums and things like that. And part of that is because uh, Alana like predates the internet, you know? (laughs) Um, And part of that is like discovering these things as a as a child when the internet was not as ubiquitous of a presence as it is for children now like it was at least growing up for me like a very monitored <laughs> you know you got like 30 minutes of computer time and and then you had to read a book um oh I was not monitored on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah uh I got 30 minutes and if I did Mavis Beacon typing for 30 minutes, then I got 30 minutes more. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would usually play on Barbie.com. So That's very funny. I feel like this is very early aughts um, type stuff. But yeah, I so I, I don't like have a Twitter, you know, like I don't follow her on Twitter or Instagram. I don't, you know, I, I just read her books. But I, I feel like that still qualifies me to be casually obsessed yeah yeah I mean the face that you made when I said that there might be a tv show I feel like really illustrates the the obsession if you could ask Tamara Pierce to write a book about a character of the tortolic like universe that exists like who would you want her to write a book about like who do you want to know more about it doesn't need to be a quartet but it could be a quartet I don't know, honestly. Um, actually, so this is not a specific character, but something that I think I would like is a female mage character who is like more magic focused because like Alana has the gift, but like magic is sort of like it was secondary to her desire to be a knight. Absolutely. And I think she felt very conflicted even about having magical powers for quite a bit of her life. Yeah. Um, and Kel doesn't have the gift, right? If I recall. No. And then Dane has wild magic, which is a little bit different. And so the only books that are like sort of centered on like being a magic student um, is the newest, like Tempest and Slaughter which is then also her first book in the universe with like a male protagonist. And I like, basically I want that, but like female protagonist for the ladies. Yeah. I'm really, um, as a young adult, I was like knights, swords, and now I'm like witches. So that's basically, that would be my request, not for a specific character, but for that type of story. What about you? So I would be really interested in someone who is portraying a more typically like feminine role in the universe, like um, Queen Thayet, which is like the woman who Jonathan married or, or someone where it's like a little bit more of like an interior story Um, and, and maybe just what it feels like to go along with the norms and if they feel the same sorts of pressures and struggles and antipathy towards their roles really that I think like Alana and Kel did. Yeah. Cause I think, I think so often there is like this story that like you have to like be a knight 
or or bust you know what I mean or like you have to be a career woman or like you you know or or like you're not being successful or something like that and I would be interested in maybe that like supportive group of friends (laughs) where there were lots of different kinds of women yeah oh yeah I like that (laughs) and now I'm just thinking about like all of the palace intrigue that like you could get into and sort of the politics yeah that side of things like I think that there there's interesting pieces there because I think so many of her books are like the one woman you know in a different environment and um I think in Tempest and Slaughter you sort of start to see like groups of of women but I yeah I would be interested in in that yeah here for it here for it um if she doesn't write it you can always write some fan fiction (laughs) assuming I know how to write (laughs) it's never too late to start writing fan fiction (laughs) a last anecdote that I want to make sure that we touch on is the pronunciation of her name oh god (laughs) so her name is spelled t-a-m-o-r-a tamora no (laughs) so and I have heard like multiple people including Allison pronounce it as tamora and honestly at first I just assumed that I was wrong in calling her tamra like because that's because i'm older and i have more lived experience (laughs) (laughs) that was like i just had always called her that and so when i first i was like oh i'm pronouncing her name wrong but then can i interrupt really quick yeah i think that given that her books are so fantastical there is something about the way that tamora sounds that kind of leans into this like medieval you know um fantasy thing and so that's why it felt very believable to me as a child anyway Chelsea yeah, please continue you were really committed to the mystery of Tamora she sounds very mysterious <laughs> <laughs> but on her website on the first page one of the like first things that she says is how to pronounce pronounce her name that it's Tamra rhymes with camera that's the example that she gives um and then she tells the story of um, basically her mom wanted to name her Tamara, T-A-M-A-R-A, um, but the nurse had never heard such a fancy name and spelt it O-R-A, and that's how she became Tamora, <laughs> or Tamara with an O. Uh, but once we, like, so I had mentioned to Allison the correct pronunciation um but then we started to like doubt the pronunciation of tamra a r a we were like is it tamara tamara uh so choose your own adventure but in the case of tamra pierce it is tamra rhymes with camera i wanted to read the last sentence of this about section uh on her website where she explains how to pronounce her name um because it makes me laugh but i don't actually know how to say tamra like with the a let's just assume it's tamra that the nurse just didn't know how to spell but it's pronounced the same so tamra so she just said i actually liked she likes her spelling with the o better than 
Tamara with an A, which means graceful, a palm tree, and is the name of the Rus- a Russian saint. And she's none of those things. And I really enjoyed that. And I laughed out loud when reading it. So the moral of this podcast, uh, spend time on her website. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and delightful. judge books by covers. <laughs> and judge people's bookshelves. Yeah. And don't date people who are older than you. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you really know yourself. But you won't know if you know yourself until years later. I want to wrap up with recommendations. Do you have any content, uh, books, TV shows, movies, anything that you would recommend to fans of Tamara Pierce? Or things that it's like, if you liked X, you should read Tamara Pierce. I guess either direction. I think if you like Tamara Pierce's work, um, you probably like things with strong female characters, things where they're sort of dealing with like large scale thinking and change. Um, And so to that end, um, I really, and and just like things that I think are really built and meant for young women. Um, And so to that end, I think my favorite TV show right now, which just came back, uh, is called The Bold Type. And it has strong female characters tackling large-scale systems change and discovering new identities and things about themselves, even at, like, 25. Um, And I highly recommend it. I have recommended it to many people, including you. And your mom (laughs) and all of my friends Um, and everyone loves it. So I, that is something that I feel pretty confident in recommending to people who like Tamara Pierce. You will probably like the bold type unless you think that you're too old or too good for it, or you should not be watching shows that are on free form as an almost 30 year old. Uh, In which case I can't help you. I outgrew that four years ago. Uh, that is a great recommendation it is not what I expected but it thematically makes total sense so like good for you Ugh, nailed it stuck the landing can recommend content um I also want to recommend a writer at the New Yorker named uh, Gia Tolentino oh, Gia Tolentino so <laughs> um who I think covers a lot of the same things in a very similar way um, she tends to focus more on, I would say, nonfiction issues, um, not so much fantasy, but a lot of times it is about the um, sort of inner inner thoughts of women, the way that women experience and portray things, what the sort of millennial experience and portrayal is as it relates to sort of the large scale issues that I think our our generation and, and women, you know, writ large face. Um, and so I think that if you like Tamara Pierce's books, uh, watch The Bold Type and get your nonfiction from Gia Tolentino. I have some book recommendations for you. Uh, check out the Old Kingdom series by Garth Nix. These are some of my absolute favorite. Um, it's kind of an interesting series as well because it was originally one book. And then he was like, I'm going to turn this into a trilogy. And then that turned into the trilogy got a prequel 
Then a fifth book came out. He's written some short stories. So it's like a pretty expansive universe at this point. Not not quite on Tamara Pierce's scale. But um, highly recommend. It is slightly darker. Um, necromancy is, is like a big part of the book. And Garth Nix is a fan of Tamara Pierce because she's a fucking icon. Again, we stand a prolific author queen. <laughs> uh, I would also recommend Spinning Silver by Naomi Novak. Uh, and that's slightly more recent um and a trilogy that i read as a teenager that i honestly don't know if i know anyone that's read it beyond the like three friends that i was like you have to read these uh but the chanters of tremeris trilogy by kate constable um it's a trilogy as as the name suggests and um is about magic but also involves like a lot of music and uh it's good. Recommend. Okay. Thank you for listening to us talk about our casual obsession with Tamara Pierce. And uh, is it casual? We just talked for like two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you for listening to our not so casual obsession <laughs> with Tamara Pierce. And uh, we hope you're obsessed too. This show is produced by me, Chelsea Bergen. The music is I Dunno by Grapes, licensed under a Creative Commons by license. You can find the show on Instagram at Casually Obsessed Podcast and the show notes for this episode at casuallyobsessedpodcast.com. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review on iTunes and by recommending it to your casually obsessed friends.